I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Ladies, I said shut up. Don't go. Got it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the How To Podcast. I am Luke Anderson. I think that I'm your host, but I may be a co-host. I'm not sure that we've ever really defined roles on here, uh, but uh, thank you for joining us with me as always. Who? Oh, I'm Ben. Sorry, I, di- I didn't realize that was my... <laughs> I try to make them as clunky on purpose because it's always funny to see how you react. So uh, I would I say my ben. bad, but my good? I don't know. I am Ben Abbey. I am the owner of Box Painting. I am the Box Dad on TikTok and Instagram. I play characters like Becky and Ski, and uh, I'm an outdoor enthusiast. There you go. Outdoor enthusiast. Uh, do you want to talk? Should this be an outdoor episode? We could do an outdoor episode. It's kind of like, and, and here's, can I, let's talk about why we should do an outdoor episode. Because, and, and you felt this too, throughout yeah. this whole year from me. I was gone. Like I, yeah, you, you will notice that there was not an October podcast. Yep. This is now November. Oh. So it was, it was skipped entirely because you were busy. <laughs> literally, literally I'm hiking this elk off of a mountain and Luke texts me and he's like, Hey, I just wanted to set up this podcast. Yada, yada, yada. I was like, bro, I'm, I can't, I'm gone. And then you sent me a picture of like, what were they? Like four and a half foot, uh, antlers. Off of a bull elk? Actually, quite literally, uh, I measured them out. So I took a measurement on uh, this. Were you talking spread or like base to, base to tip? So base to tip, he came out. Wait, don't, uh, if you're starting the podcast right at this point. It's a bad time. That's bad. Awkward. Burden. I don't know if I like that. Base to tip on antlers. Okay, gotcha. The antler length uh, of the main beam on both sides, he's almost perfectly symmetrical. Uh, but he came out right at 46 inches uh, on the on the uh, length of the beam. Um, I measured him at a total, like, and I'm not a professional measure. Sure. Or, yeah, yeah. There's, but then there are like okay. two different rating systems. Oh yeah, yeah. And then it, and then state by state, it's either by point or by like you count the total points or you count the points on each well, side. And they have this verbiage on there where it's like you when you measure, you go to the tip, but you don't you you actually now, measure is that Boone and Crockett measuring? Or are you talking like yeah, what's the other one? The curve. You measure up to the curve around the curve ah. of the tip, and so it gets really convoluted. But at the end, we know that this bull is a 300 to maybe a 320 inch bull as far as his class. So he's a 300 class bull. Um, his inside spread is 42 inches <sighs> outside, outside spread is almost four feet. He is, um, he, he, he's a special animal. So biggest, biggest bull you've seen ever. Like, yeah. so biggest bull I've seen in Oregon, hands down, never have I seen a bull that size in Oregon. I have been to Estes Park, uh, in, um, Colorado That's, and seen yeah. bigger elk there as far as their, their, their mass. But that's what you expect to see in a freaking national park it's yeah, yeah. where they're going to be. Um, this animal was uh, very special. Where uh, where were you geographically in the state? Sure. Yeah. So uh, we are all the way east in Oregon, literally in the picture. And I'll po- I need to post it on IG, honestly. But in the picture. <laughs> oh, good. Because that's where I'll see it. The, the, on the other side of the ridge is the Snake River. Okay. Um, 
And, you know, there's a lot of factors that, that helped this season for us as, as elk hunters, uh, rifle hunters in Oregon, we had a really dry summer. It was a really dry summer all the way through it. And that I really think pushed their rut back, uh, out of September into the October and even almost November timeframes. And what we were experiencing through deer season in the beginning of October, uh, was we were seeing elk in full throat. Like we were like, wow, these guys are ramped up hard. And then, and it feels like usually what they do is they try to align the rut with archery season because it's a lot harder to get 40 yards from an animal. So that's just for anybody that's like, well, why, yeah, does, why does that matter? But yeah, so uh, usually September is your archery season. Archery season. And then October, we moved to rifle seasons. Yep. And so as we got into the beginning of rifle season, so for, for those of you who don't know and didn't experience it with me, I was gone uh, for 10 days elk hunting and it was no contact. It drove my painters crazy. This was the first <laughs> time where I literally like normally I can get a little bit of contact where I, I, I make calls, do emails, stuff like that as I'm facilitating the elk hunt, whatever that is. Uh, and I wasn't able to do that because I had gotten this bowl. And so and my buddy had gotten a bowl also in the same time frame. And so I was, when you say the same time frame, this is not in the same 10 days. No, in this, in the, within a minute of each other, <laughs> within a minute of each other, both of these animals had, 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 had died and, um, you know, died or been killed. So been killed. I mean, we, <laughs> so we can get into the emotions of it. So let's, let's describe how I hunt elk, because I okay. think that's important. It's we show up to elk camp. There's four of us. It's me and my buddy, Joe, who we've known each other. Now this is, we're coming up on 20, 20 right at 20, 22 years, somewhere in there. And uh, Joe's father, Kevin, and my father, his name's Richard. Uh, we're all together on this elk hunt. We have a 12 by 20 wall tent, uh, the, the Alacnac series from Cabela's. It's glamping. In this camp, this is glamping. This is, we have these massive cots with three dogs, my dog, my dad's dog, Joe's dog, right? And we are all just cozy in the camp. Yep. Loving wood, wood, wood stove in the... Can't, in the tent, I'm sure. Wood stove yep. in yep. there, and it's the wood stove is always burning. Like oh, we, it is it is comfy. Well, yeah, because it, it, let's be honest. If you go out two days in a row in bad weather hunting, one day uh, you are soaked to the bone. The next day, all of that stuff stays in the tent exactly. with the wood stove to dry it out. Come on, this is absolutely so, elk, elk hunting 101. Elk hunting 101, and it is it's nasty weather out there, and so. Uh, as as elk season was approaching, we saw the weather and it was coming to change. The weather was going to change and it was going to get nasty quick. And to be clear, um, the first snowfall that happened <clears throat> happened on the fir- the opening morning of season. We get uh, about three, four inches of snow. But what we do, Joe and I, and this is because of an experience that we had in 2017. I was with another buddy of mine, Mike. And we come up on top of this ridge, first light, we're on top doing our thing, hear a bugle. Mm-hmm. And we, we hear the bugle, we move to the bugle, we find the bull, and we're wa- I'm waiting, Mike's the shooter, and we're waiting for the bull to come into the open. And out from the trees on the other side of the canyon are three little ninjas that come out and pop that bull at about 200, 300 yards, yeah. somewhere right in there, right out from underneath us. And what we figured out was that they had camped on top of that ridge the mm-hmm. night before. So they just, they had heard that bull probably bugling all night. Yeah. So ever since then, when we draw first season bull, that's what we do. We gotcha. camp out up on top. So, and when I how, say- How far is that hike in? That hike is, it's three miles, two and a half, three miles. Okay. But you are gaining 2,500 feet of elevation over the first- quarter of three quarters of a mile. And how much of that glamping gear do you bring in? Zero. It is. So we go in with a two man tent, a sleeping bag, and then extra water and, and high, uh, dehydrated food. Yeah. Like the, the mountain house meals, right? The, oh yeah. The gravy, the I had, some, I had some of those and I looked at them the other day, expiration, uh, 2050. You're good to go. Oh, You're yeah. good. Just throw them, throw them in. And they're not like, bad. If I'm honest, like they're not bad meals either yeah. for the record. For the, for the price and for the, your, yeah, I mean, you I'm are, everything is completely dehydrated. Yeah. 
Um, and to the degree that in this tent, we literally just break fur boughs off and we're sleeping on fur boughs. Like it's, it is, we're roughing it up on top of that little, that little knob. And we got to the top. So we typically, you know, the hunt starts on a Wednesday. We arrive on a Tuesday. We get to the top of that mountain on the, on the Tuesday. And then the idea is, is that our fathers are going to come up the same ridge the next morning or, the, or that same series of ridges the next so morning. They're still glamping. They're glamping the night before. And our job is to find elk. And then most likely they're going to run off this ridge down toward our, our fathers. Yep. If we don't get a shot at them first. Um, that night, or so we get to the top of that ridge on Tuesday night. This is a great, this is a fun hunting story. <laughs> Within 15 seconds, we spot elk, L- like quite literally 15 seconds. Joe's got his binoculars up and he's like, there's the, there's a bull. And my bet would be that the bull that we first saw was the bull that Joe ultimately would get the next morning. Yeah. And it had a spike and a cow with him. And then we get our camp set up and we hear an elk bugling on in the, uh, the next drainage over that we are going to go take a look at regardless. Um, and so we get up there and we very quietly are just looking over these elk. We can't see the bull that is bugling down and down in the bottom of this drainage, but we can hear the cow that, that's mewing. Yep. And then what we do observe is there are probably 50 to 60 elk, and each little pod of them has a branch bull, like a satellite bull, away from this main one that's bugling. And each of these branch bulls are good six points, maybe a good five. I mean, and there's four of them that are that are around this area. And yeah. so Joe and I that night were like, if these other bulls are six points, how big is this freaking bull that's bugling down there? How like the idea being that how afraid are these bulls? Yeah. These look like good bulls for our area. How afraid are these bulls of this bull? If, if how big is he? Like yeah. are, are we talking. And so we went to bed, not knowing this bull. Cont- I, the last thing I heard that night, as I closed my eyes to go to sleep at nine o'clock was the sound of that bull bugling. Still, he was still just ripping them yeah. all night long. We wake up to four inches of snow um, and we're socked in pretty hard. And meaning that we got fog yep. and can't look down, but the bull is still bugling. They're literally in the exact same place we left them. They didn't even move up the drainage. They're just smack right where we left them. They're just in there fornicating those filthy animals. Pretty much. Yep. I mean, you know, they're just it, very Sodom and Gomorrah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's just, just elk uh, Caligula going on down there. Exactly. Yeah. And so Joe and I make a plan. And for those of you that hunt, fish, whatever you do out there, when you're making the plan, the understanding is, is that this plan's not going to work. Like, <laughs> like that's, 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 that's how accurate. it that's, it, you, you make the So plan. what I'm going to do is I'm going to go down this ridge, and then what happens? You're like, I think I heard something over there. Wait, what's that? Uh, let me, I'm just, exactly. Then actually, you know, off the trail. And, and that's like 17 steps into the woods. Absolutely. Like a, a big squirrel goes running by. You're like, that sounded like it might have been something. And then you go over there and you're like, ah, it's just a gray squirrel. But now you're off the path. And then you're like, what, what, what's on the other side of that ridge? And now you're going perpendicular to your original path. Yes. Exactly. Right. The yeah. plan never goes the way that you expected it to. So, Joe. And that's and without I, seeing animals. And that's without seeing animals. Yeah. We've, we, we know where these animals yeah. are. The good news here is that we have snow that morning. For those of you that hunt, snow is a scent killer. Fresh yeah. snow. Boom, lays all sent down. And so wind is, becomes almost a non-factor. And we're so socked in with the fog also as it's moving in and out of these mountains because we are right above the snow line um, that we're also able to move across open ground in fog mm-hmm. because we've been up here before. We know how to move to places quick, but we need cover to do it. And so Joe's moving down toward where we saw the original bull in that 15 seconds. He's going to go down that ridge. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to, the, the idea being that either I'm going to shoot first and run the animals down to Joe, or he's going to shoot first and the animals are going to run up the drainage to me. Yep. And um, in, this theory. Is in theory, it's all in theory. Uh, you never know how they're going to react. You never the the elk them. never follow the plan. Whatever you draw up, the wild animals, not real keen to the plan. So I get to my spot and Joe knows where I'm going to be. Joe, like as far as 
like very specifically knows where I'm going to be standing and how I'm going to react. And, and that comes from just hunting together for a long time and knowing this spot so well. And what ends up happening is I get kind of pinned where I can't actually drop down as far as I thought I would be able to, because there are elk, six cow elk sitting 250 yards to my right, right below me away from the rest of the herd. But this other bull is still bugling down there. We sat in the snow, or I sat in the snow for about two hours. As I'm watching Joe move down, I see him at certain points moving down the ridge, and he's making his his circle, but I can't move, and he knows I can't move because I'm pinned with elk. Um, and at, at some point, I come to the conclusion that basically this is going to be on Joe. Yeah. Joe's going to need to be the one that's going to make a move on him because he has better wind than I would, and he's a little bit more covered. So right. And I have video of it where I actually record the bull bugling below me. So I have him bugling on, on recording, which is awesome. And right at about 930, 945, Joe uh, cracks his first shot. And for those of you that don't hunt, I could tell that the shot was a miss just by the way it echoed off the canyon. But because the follow-up shot was a little bit delayed and then I could hear that shot, I knew that the second shot we had a bull down. Like I, I I could, it was, there's a thud that happens on a shot at distance that you're like, that's, that's a hit. You You can hear a bullet traveling and then all of a sudden it stops. Yep. After the first shot, right. I still, we both Joe and I have not seen this bugling bull. He's been ripping them all morning. We haven't made eye contact with him. Right. And all of a sudden as, as Joe takes that first shot, the elk start filtering out of the trees. Mm -hmm. He herds them all up. Right. And they start moving. And my job now at this point is I got to get up, make sure I stay above them and block. Right. Now, two years ago, I had something similar in experience happen in this very same spot, but the animals were moving down the other way. This was on a spike hunt. And I had a, a branch bull with a, with a herd run below me and they'd had no spikes in that group. But from that vantage, I knew that that shot was right around 375 yards. And that's just based on memory and what we've done before. Well, elk and the way they move and the way they herd, elk, the cows move first, the bulls stay behind and are moving those animals out. As he comes out of the trees, I I watch him with my binoculars bugle, right? And I'm like, oh, that's you. There you are. Yeah. And at that point, the adrenaline is beginning to rush and I'm not focused on his size. I just know that's the one that I want to target. And, but there's other bulls that are with him. And the, right? adre- the adrenaline is crazy. Just when you see your first elk. Oh yeah. Then you see antlers. Then you kind of go into an entirely different mode. And I said this in, in uh, to Joe in the beginning that I was glad that we never saw the bull. And it, like, because <laughs> you wouldn't have slept. I, I, yeah. If I would have seen this bull the night before, or even that morning, yep. the, 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 that buck fever, that elk fever, whatever you want to call it, it just ramps right up. Yep. You can't, and it's tough to harness. So, um, at this point, uh, the bull, the, the bull is moving his cows about 40 or 50 of them up the Canyon. And with relative haste, they know that they're moving away from danger, but they're not moving at full tilt. Yeah. I get down uh, to where I know I want to shoot from on the edge of this brush and I get my little shooting sticks out and I'm just rock solid on this, on this spot. And um, the cows move out and he comes across the opening and my first shot was a moving shot and I hit him on the first one um, end up taking out his lungs. He couldn't take another step forward. The way that the sound bounces off these canyons, the elk thought that the shot was coming from their side. They're mm. on the opposite side of the canyon. They think it's coming from their side because of the way it echoes. And so the cows all of a sudden come back and just surround him. Yeah. He hit, he's not down, but they surround him. And I can't take my second shot because I need these cows to clear the cat. So As that's happening, Joe comes over the radio, right? And now I've got my pouch, my little binocular pouch right here. I've already taken- On your chest for people listening to this. For the people listening. And on on my chest with the binoculars is my radio. Joe comes over the radio after I've taken my first shot and says, I've got a bull down. 
And I come back over the radio after my first shot and I'm waiting for these cows to clear. And I say, Joe, I just need a couple more seconds and, and we're going to have two. And sure enough, the, the cow is clear. I take my shot and drop him, right? Like right in his tracks. As, and, and that was fantastic. I was excited, all that fun stuff. And then the, the elk, they continue going up the canyon. Our fathers are on the other side of that canyon and uh, they know that shots are being fired, yada, yada, yada. I come over the radio and they or yeah, over the radio and they know that we've got two six points down. <laughs> now, typically our fathers do not come all the way up the hill. They're, they're relatively old. They're 60 plus sure, Joe's yeah. almost 70 and they don't make this climb all the way to the top. We keep them at about halfway just for that reason. Sure. Yeah. Even, yeah. Save the steps. I, as I'm approaching my bull, I got within about, it was right around when I got about a hundred yards away from him as I'm walking to him, you know, I was like, Oh, you're a freak. Like, this is not, <laughs> this is not like we've experienced pretty typical bulls. There's right? a nice bull on your wall behind you that nobody can see yeah. because we're recording this for audio purposes. That bull, when did you get that one? 2019. 2019. That is about what? Two thirds the size? Half the size of the. <laughs> I think he's half. I bet half. he would measure about half the size. Um, and you took the time to put a nice English mount on that one because that's a nice bull. It is a nice bull. He's a great six by seven. Yeah. I mean, he, what, he, what are you going to do with the. Call? That's a typical that's Oregon a, it bull. Is. Like yep. very Pacific Northwest Rocky Mountain bull. A like, handful of years ago, my brother and my dad both got one of just about that size. Very yeah, nice. It, very nice bull, respectable bull, right? Like very yes. respectable. You're, you're going to put it on the wall. Like yep. in 2019, I said, this might be the biggest bull I ever killed. And I really, I truly believe that. Yep. And I am not a trophy hunter for anybody that's listening. It's not what I do. Whatever comes across me first, it's a legal animal. Boom. I'm after it. That's Let's what go. I want to do. And then you eat the meat and you, you yep, enjoy it. Yep. So as I approached the bull, uh, I figured out how big he was and and that, I, that is the thing that you don't realize is until you yeah. walk right yeah. up. Well, and the other thing too, until an elk is down, like you never get that close to an elk. The size yeah. of a small elk is big. They're yeah. huge animals, but you get a monster like that. <laughs> so, so I get to the bull and I'm getting ready to do my thing. And, and as I go to lift like his head for the first time, I'm like, Oh no. <laughs> I call my dad and I was like, listen, on the radio, I'm like, dad, you're going to have to climb this hill. He's, he's, he's huge. I yeah. can't, I can't physically move him the way that I normally would sure. be able to move most animals. I can't do it. And your, your buddy Joe is already dealing with his Joe's own six points. Yeah. So yeah. So just a mile away doing his own thing. Well, and, and so I've, I've never gotten an elk. So I've got, I've, I've been on hunts where my dad and my brother have, and just being there trying to just move the mass around yeah. to, to skin it. Just negotiate to it safely. It. Yep. Oh yeah. You're with knives, you're doing your thing, you know, and, and it's, it's a slippery, disgusting mess. Right. But yep. you, you, you've got to get it cleaned up. And so dad's like, okay, it's going to take me a couple hours to get to where you are. And I was like, no problem. I'm just going to start cutting away and get, get them worked out. Get out the bone saw. Let's get to work. I mean, it was, it was insane. Um, so, Dad ultimately would make it to the to the top of the ridge, and by the time Dad gets to the top, it's about two p.m. in the afternoon at that point. Now is 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 Richard going to uh, to Joe's kill then? So yeah, Richard decides that he he gets to the top, and then he meets us at where we camp that night. Gotcha. And to save my father's legs mm -hmm. for the next day, because now we've got work to do, and we know we've got work. <laughs> yep. To do. The next. The next four days are about to be real hard. Just so quick. Uh, and this is, you guys just took out meat, no pelts. You took out the no horns. Pelts. Yep. Horns. Did you weigh the meat? Yeah. How yeah. much? How much okay. each? So, each. Okay. So. Cause I, I want people like if, if people are listening yeah. and are actually intrigued by this and have never been hunting, this, no, this is no bones. No, no pelt, that, and think of how heavy the pelt is of oh, yeah. on an elk. I mean, that is some thick hair. And then, and then you have the the, the the intestines. You have the just the, everything. The so I mean, just the meat as clean as you can get it off okay. the bone. 
So to give you an idea and perspective also, a standard spike bull that we, we, we've taken spikes before, we typically get about 150 to 180 pounds of meat off of a spike. Yep. Meat only, spike bull, 150, which means it's an immature animal, right? Yep. Yep. But a, like 200 pounds of meat, that's a solid amount of meat. Almost 200 pounds. Um, I ended up turning in to the meat market. Uh, I turned in 261 pounds of just meat. Yeah. 261. That does not include the 45 inch long back straps. Yep. <sighs> they, I'm, I'm not kidding. Like, I believe they, you. They are massive. Sure. I've never, never seen anything. This, like is, this is your tenderloin on a, on a cow. Yeah. And, and so, and, and what's, what's the circumference on those? Oh, I would say, what is that? Eight, se- seven inches? Yeah. Seven inches or, or well, no, seven inch radius. Is it, no, uh, no. Circumference is all the way across. Okay. okay thank you. Hunter, you. You don't have to be a, a geometry. I'm not here for geometry. Major but yeah, seven inches, right? I figure they're about seven inches. And to give you an idea, that was at least another 40 pounds of meat. And the sure. reason I know that is because. Each of those steaks cut up into a little one inch. We're looking for one inch steaks. I have almost, I have a little over 80 steaks from this bowl. It's insane. Um, When I showed up to the meat market, uh, we've been going to the same guy for, it's Mount Angel Meats here in Oregon. Uh, They do the Oktoberfest saches. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, The owner's name is Eric. Fantastic human being. I showed up and I just happened to have the bowl, the head with me. And because I was taking it to the taxidermist that same day that I brought the meat out and I open up the back and I get the head out and Eric comes out and he goes, wow, that's the biggest Oregon bull I've ever seen. Yeah. I've seen bigger ones come out of New Mexico. I've seen bigger ones come out of Montana. That is the biggest Oregon bull I've ever seen. He is, that is a freak. Yeah. Well, he was, and, an, he was an Idaho bull the day before and then he just sauntered well, across. So here's, here's, he doesn't give it doesn't give any care to the, uh, the state boundaries. No, none at all. But interesting theory that we actually have on that note, um, as far as animal migrations and kind of the way they work. Uh, for those of you that know, here in Oregon, we had a dry summer. And just north of my unit was the biggest forest fire we had. It was yeah. a Cedar Creek fire. Yeah. And fire, typically speaking, it's not that animals don't die in forest fires. They absolutely do. They get trapped, they get surrounded, they don't make it out. But for those that do make it out, it displaces animals. Yeah. All of a sudden, you run to places that they weren't normally at. Well, and there's not a, there's also not a huge <laughs> casual feel. It's not like when you say some animals do, it, it's, it's most of them are far more aware of what is happening Absolutely. to their surroundings than, than think, we do. Think Bambi, right? Like yeah, the, get out. Bambi, they're running from that fire. They don't yeah. stick around. They're boom, gotta yeah. go. Yeah, you don't go up there and pick up jerky after a forest fire. <laughs> Absolutely okay. not. So um, the way we described it was we thought that this animal looked more like the unit that was above us, that we came out of that unit. Um, And it would not be surprising to find that out as far as if we got the genetics back and and figure all that out. Did you send it into 23andMe? (laughs) Or 23andMeet? I don't know if ODF&W does that. Maybe they do. Yeah. But so at the end of that, um, I had a little over 300 pounds. Joe ended up with a little over 200 pounds off of his six point. And so in that four or five day period, we ended up moving over 500 pounds of meat. Um, I, I'm sorry. Did you take the horns? What are those way? Oh yeah. His, uh, my guy's head with horns. No, no hide on the head. Yep. Came in at 45, 47. <laughs> yeah, right, right. So there's another hundred pounds. So you're taking yeah. 600 pounds. I mean, the, the head of an animal is well, it's big. for those that, that know the area, Hell's Can- it's called Hell's Canyon. Yeah. It's steep, right? It's it's what it is. I had his antlers on my back. And they were touching and the ground. as I'm going down the hill, his antlers, his tines would drag yeah. and actually shove me forward, making it very uncomfy going down these hills. Oh, yeah. it, was, it was a very sketchy prospect. I'm not yeah. going to like, as far as the safety thing, I, it was safe, but... It was, I was not comfy yeah. in, in, in what was going on with the head on my back. Because the other thing too, is when you have that weight, it gets caught on branches. It gets caught oh. on it, all that. So the thing that I would say on this elk that was the most fascinating is my father's killed a big bull before up there. Nothing like this guy. 
And we thought he was the, the, the just a, a giant. But once we put my bull up against dad's bull, it was like, oh, yeah, it's not even close. Yeah. It, it's it's 30 to 40 inches of, of mass more. Yeah, you're going to need a bigger room if it's going to be on the wall next to its buddy. 100% honesty there. I yeah. don't have space in the house for this animal right now. I don't know where it's going to go. Um, but it put it outside. Put it on the front door. Uh, do well, you know anybody it, that can do a nice paint job around it? <laughs> Something to highlight it? Just center the whole thing around it. Um, it was very exciting, though, uh, as far as an experience. You know, this last year I spent, um, you know, through the summer, through spring and summer, uh, I would say I ended up spending 90% of my weekends outdoors. Uh, yeah. I, was, I was, whether I was with the kids. Yeah, or you're looking my, for sunstones and doing everything. We talked about that. Yeah. Huckleberries, mushrooms. Ooh, I mean, we huckleberries. Were, do you go, do you go chanterelle hunting? Yeah, a little bit. Yeah, yeah a little yeah. bit. My brother, my brother is very, uh, very aware of the chanterelle population beneath his feet as he's hunting. Mm-hmm. And most of the meals that I've had with chanterelles, which like you go to restaurants and they yep. charge a premium for a dish with those. Most of the time it is camp gruel with yeah. these, you know, expensive exotic <laughs> mushrooms that people travel all around for. Absolutely. But you go in these hunting areas and they don't, you know, you don't see a lot of mushroom pickers every once in a while you do, but they know that like, well, Guys with yep. guns out there. I'm going to just kind of hang back. They typically will. Yeah. A lot of mushroom hunters will avoid areas that they know are oh, yeah, yeah. active hunting zones. Yep. Um, it's kind of like being a kayaker on a river for fishing. You yeah. know, it's that you it's respect. Respect yeah. once the season, yeah. the season begins. Um, so at the end, you know, this animal, it was the fascinating part for us was, so my dad, because we wanted to save his legs, Dad decided he, him and Joe would stay up the second night, right? Yeah. So that he was up on top to start helping Joe move animals up. Or, Did they just build a meat canoe and then just like sled down the hill on it? Or a meat toboggan, I guess it would be. If we couldn't, we would have. I mean, it was so intense. It was yeah. so intense physically. Um, How, yeah, how's, the tra- how's the trail going in there to that top uh, spot? There's no trail. Yeah, there's no trail. It's, it's not an actual trail. I mean, there's well, yeah, a game, yeah. but there's no no improved trail. This is yep. you. We are off the, there's no, yeah. I just want people to get a picture of it. Cause that's kind of what I suspected. Yeah. It's it. And actually Joe and I kind of talked about that. You know, though there are hunters out there, you know, there's, and I'm not here to badmouth any style of hunting. You do you because yep. each area is different. You know, in, in the East coast, you have a lot of stand hunters that sit, yep. sit over bait and that's what they do. This is not that kind of hunting. Yep. Um, this you know, people often ask, you know, what's the, the, the largest barrier to elk hunting? It's physicality. You have to be able to get to where they are because these animals do not mess around. Where they where they hide is big and tall, big and steep, and um, they move a lot faster than we can. Yeah. And so to be Boy, able man, to- man, they catch wind of you and pew, they're just, gone, you know? And they just, it's amazing that you can have a herd of 40 animals in tall timber. And you don't vanish. even- Yep. Just vanished. The mighty Wapiti. Um, so he, this elk was so big to give you an idea. He had muscles that we'd never seen before. <laughs> on and the biggest were at his neck. Oh yeah. Right? Well, yeah. Think of holding, yeah. think of holding that apparatus yeah. above you the whole time. Yeah, I, going up, he had these two tubes on his neck, going the length of his neck. They were just, they looked like loins. They looked muscle tubes, straight muscle. I've never seen anything like it. His hams were so big that I couldn't physically lift them up high enough to get them into the game bag. Yeah. So I trimmed meat off the top round to be able to just lift the ham and make it a manageable, what typically is a six bag operation, right? For, for meat off of an elk. Yeah. Mine took nine, nine and a half, 10 bags. <sighs> I mean, he was that much more. Yeah. Um, and you're talking about what, like 40, 50 pounds per bag, something like that. Yeah. If there was one, one bag of meat that had gotten loaded up and it, it, that one probably weighed about 85 pounds. And, um, well now as we shuttled it down, it just kept being the dreaded bag, you know? And so, well, so here's, here's the thing that happens too, is you kind of, you kind of clean off as much meat as you can. And then, you know, if it's spike, you go, all right, let's get everything. Let's get between the ribs and do the whole thing. How much, how much do you think you left on that gun? That's enough. Oh, none. Actually, we, we, we picked him clean. Okay. We did a okay. really good job. We picked him clean. Because that's an uh, exhausting process, too. Just, just. 
Oh yeah. Cleaning just the animal. The meat. I mean, just, just quartering them out and, and deboning. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is everything about it becomes a physical process. Mm-hmm. As we were cleaning out this, my bowl, no joke. My dad is now, so day two, my dad, we've got Joe's bowl to the top camp. Yep. And dad has come down to where my bull is and is starting to start work on mine. And I meet up with him after getting Joe's bull to the top. And all of a sudden the herd from yesterday, yesterday, yeah, yesterday is, has now gotten pushed from other hunters up above back down to where they were. My dad had a shot at 200 yards (laughs) at this whole herd again and could have taken a branch, could have taken a spike and they would have been up the hill closer. Yeah. Right. Dad and I looked at each other and we're like, and we're cleaning this animal. And he's like, do we want a third animal? I was like, no, <laughs> we don't have not, the damage. Not, yeah. Not unless you can call in like the, the backups to come and help us move exactly. it out. And, and I think that's one thing that, that as a hunting party, we do good at is yeah. we're not greedy about it. Like, what am I going to do? What are, what are me and my dad going to do with another two, 300 pounds of meat? Yeah. Like yeah. here we are sit like that's plenty of meat for the next coming year, if not m- more. And so, well, the next step of the episode we do of this podcast will be in person and I will, uh, I will trade you some salmon fillets if, if need be to uh, trade it for a piece of that tenderloin if possible. I will bring some up. Oh, Absolutely. God, backstrap, backstrap. Oh, mm. so for a bugling bull, you typically expect them to be a little stinky as far as their meat because they're rutting and that's sure. it, the hormones are running. This animal, none of that. Oh. He's pristine. I mean, he is, he is absolutely pristine. It was a neat experience. Um, you know, the, the crazy part for me is that I've drawn first season bull, uh, 2018, 2019, and then 2022. I am currently three for three. There you go. Well, I mean, that's, that's why they are, that's why it's a draw season, not a full hunting season. I mean, it makes Uh, a difference. Not having that many people around makes a big difference. The animals can settle down a little bit more. um, And then they're just not as skittish. You get into that late season and you've already lost, you know, uh, you you lost Jerry to Joe and uh, Glenn got taken out by Ben. And then. (laughs) I know I named this bull when we get him back from the tax service. His name's Reveille. Uh, cause he was bugling that morning, mm. bugle, Reveille. Sure. So that's, I, I've decided his name is Reveille. Um, he is, you know, he's, he's definitely special. It's, yeah. it's something else. Um, well, the, 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 the adrenaline, I don't know what to compare it to. Uh, I've, and you and I've talked about this, I think on this podcast, it, I've gotten one deer in my life. Yeah. I've gotten one deer and, and it, I told, I've told my family too, I go, cause I, you know, I, and I'm not the most avid hunter, but my, my family is They're They're committed to it. But I, I moved away from the Northwest for a long time. But when I came back, I got my first animal and I was like, dude, I, I, I pondered how different my life would have been if I had gotten one earlier because the sensation is unlike anything else. It is. Now the deer I got was bigger than anything my brothers have ever gotten. And it was almost as if the, the, the horns were sturdier, but not as, not as uh, big of a spread as the biggest okay. one my dad ever got, but it's, it's a gnarly, uh, click attack deer that is, you know, part mule deer, part whitetail, oh, bench part leg, black yeah. tail, bench part, leg, bench yeah. leg deer. Yeah. Just a, yeah. just a gnarly mutant of a deer. And, and same thing, like the neck on that animal to hold up a rack like that. It's just, it's crazy. It's different. It, yeah. yeah. Um, I don't know what else to say. I, you know, at the end of the day, the so well, how, how about this? So, so you've got the animals. So now, okay. If this is how to elk hunt. Okay. Now, how, how do you enjoy it and share it? Obviously you're sharing the story. You and I sharing the story is fantastic. I, I've enjoyed hearing it. The picture that you sent me was great. Cause it's you standing next to just going like, Holy hell dude. Yeah. Like this, this thing's this, a, this like happened. no words. Just like, I'm like, all right. Yeah. Um, but like, you share the meat. What do you, what, how do you get it processed? Oh, like what's, you know, you've, you've gotten the question. animal now, now what you've got, you know? Yeah. So, um, for those that are avid outdoorsmen, or maybe you have an avid, avid outdoors person that, that, that is in your family. Um, I think a common thread that, that happens is I, in my mind, I've explained this. I explained this to, uh, my now ex Hannah, um, years before we were divorced because we had family and friends asking for meat uh, of a bowl that I had taken, maybe even this bowl, uh, yeah. back in 2019. And this is how I explain it. So, 
for those of you that don't know, uh, the heart is the best cut of meat on all animals. It, it is, there is nothing like it. it. Heart tastes the best. And so in my mind, heart is always for the hunting party. Yeah. Those that are on the hunt get to enjoy the heart. Uh, typically the heart, the way that we prepare it. Just raw, uh, eat it like an apple, pass it around. <laughs> not even close. No. Oh, right now? We do it differently. I do not eat raw heart. Although I you just, could. It's, it's I suppose you could, yeah. You can. It's totally fine I'm for sure you. I'm sure that you um, the, we do, uh, first you soak it, uh, for a day, 24 hour period, you soak it in a bucket of water, flush out all that, all the, the blood, the, the clots, all that, get that done. And then you trim off all the, uh, para it's the, all the arteries, yep. right? You can eat the arteries, but they're really tough. I mean, that's yeah. what's in the heart go, sure. right? So you're trimming all that out. And then you just are left with these really fine cuts of little nuggets that are, that are the heart meat. Um, fry it up in butter and that's all you need. Salt, pepper, butter, maybe a little Johnny seasoning, nothing yeah. special. You do a little garlic, garlic, uh, garlic salt. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But just keep, but you want to taste, yeah. like you're not, your goal is not to over season there. Like nope. it, you want to taste all of that. Um, so that the heart is for hunting party. Uh, and then my next favorite cut of meat would be the tenderloin. Sure. Tenderloin yep. comes back home. Tenderloin, I tenderloin, I will share with immediate family only, pretty much. <laughs> right? Like it is just boom. Here's the circle. You just you get tenderloin. Um, tenderloin is found on the inside of the body cavity, uh, toward the back end, underneath the lower spine. Yeah, it's a muscle that's rarely used, uh, and that's why it is so quote unquote tender. Um, his tenderloins were massive too. Everything about the <laughs> animal was just upgraded. The next third cut best meat for me is the backstrap. Yeah. Um, backstrap is. See, I would put backstrap meat. too, but that's just me. Hey, I get it. I get it. Everybody has their, 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 their flavors. Um, for, so backstrap are your steaks yeah. and the backstrap literally are two strips of meat that run along both sides of the spine. And if you were a butcher, this is where you would get tomahawk steaks. So you have a rib bone meeting the meat, and that could be a tomahawk steak. Um, and the, 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 the back strap itself runs quite literally from neck to rump. I mean, they are, and it's one singular piece of meat on each side. Typically has near zero fat on it um, because of where it is. And it's, it's very lean uh, across the board. And then from there... You get into your roast, your your top sirloins off the rump. Um, maybe some top shoulder meat is going to be high quality stuff. Uh, but a lot of that for us in the processing becomes sausage, yeah, so, or burger, so or pepperoni sticks. Pepper, yeah, teriyaki yeah. pepperoni sticks. So for me, you know, hunting for the years that I have and having children, you get familiar with what your kids are willing to eat and what they're not. <laughs> yeah. And the thing is, is it's fascinating. It has nothing to do with the taste of the meat. It has to do with the texture of the meat. Mm -hmm. So for us, I go massive amounts of burger. Yep. I think I ended up doing 80 pounds of summer sausage in four pound sticks. Yep. Right. So you're going to get some of that in your Christmas basket this year. For me. <laughs> um, and, along with a handful of other goodies, but, and then uh, teriyaki sticks. So what I figured out is, you know, they make great Oktoberfest sausages, but I'm the only one that really enjoys yeah. those. Like it, the, at the end of the day, knowing that my goal is to use, use and utilize every bit of this animal that I possibly can. This is how I approach it is making these things into cuts of meat that are going to be for the family. Um, and then from there, I hand out, like, I'll hand out the summer sausage. I'll hand out the burger. I'll hand out some roasts. I'll hand out some steaks. Uh, no problem with that at all. Um, but the but the cuts of meat that are for me and immediate family, <laughs> I, 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 I guard them. It's, it is that way. Like, I want to enjoy backstrap steaks for the, the next year and a half. So I, yeah. I go skinny on handing those out. And, um, you know, I do have friends and family that offer to pay me for some meat. And I certainly appreciate that. They don't need to pay. I'm happy to give some out as, as gifts. 
Um, you know, because the other thing too, is that you're helping me not have to go buy a whole nother freaking freezer. <laughs> that's kind of where we're living right now is yeah. we another freezer. Um, but yeah, the, you know, the processing of the meat is, is, is a neat thing. The other thing I do is I, if we figured out that we enjoy bringing some, some of the meat off the, on the bone back with us. So meaning we just quarter quarter the hams or the shoulders and bring meat because the structure stays on your back better instead of a sack of meat just hanging on your hips the structure on the bone just carries up the back a lot better and it's easier easier to pack even though you probably have an extra 8 to 10 12 yep. pounds of bone on your back so but because we do bring bone back um one dish that I enjoyed that I learned uh from Steve Rainella who is the uh He's uh does the show on Netflix called Meat Eater. Yeah. Um, Steve Rainella does a moose hunt up in Alaska, and after they get this moose down, they saw the bones up into the little medallions, the little leg bone femurs into medallions, and then they cook the the bone marrow sure. in in the on the on a fire. And I did something similar because his bones were so big. There's a lot of marrow in there that's worth going after because marrow is insanely protein rich, yeah. huge proteins. Um, but if you do eat too much, it can really mess up your stomach because it's that rich. Um, but what I do is I, I trigger the, the medallions of bone until they are cooked. And then I took, um, the huckleberry jam that I had gotten in the summer, uh, reduced that down a little bit, um, to, to where it was more, instead of like a jam, it was more of like a reduction. Yep. Syrup. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And just poured that over him. Whoo, that's that tell you what that one right there. That's something special. Um, <laughs> for those of you that I get, I, I do get into eating the things that, that I go out and harvest and enjoying that as a, it's part of honoring what happens out there. there right. Like, yeah. cause I, I come to this belief that, and I, and this, you can test this theory, right? Where not everybody is designed or has the wherewithal to take life, right? Yeah. The, the taking of life. And I understand what I'm doing. It is taking life. It is. So in that concept, the, the respect and honor that I want to have for the animal that I have just removed from this earth is great. Uh, you know, a lot of times, I get into conversations with non hunters, non outdoors people that it is, how can you do this? You know, this is a life. How can you have no emotion? Oh no. The emotion that I have, I cry. Man, that's going to be good steak. Well, no, it's, I cry over it. Like I, I get so emotional that it brings me to tears on. I can't think of a big game animal that I have not shed a tear over. When I approach the animal, it is, it is this, you see, you see that life leaving its body and it's like, okay, this is what just happened. And then to be able to process it and then compartmentalize it into a, this is for the betterment of my family, right? I'm not going to have to buy red meat for two years, at least right yeah. now. Um, the betterment of my family, the, 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 the population of the animals also, yep. because whether we want to like it or not, this animal at his age, because he was aged at about five or six years old by ODF and W, most bull elk do not live beyond seven. It's just boom. When they, they hit a point where they're not breeding anymore and they're just preventing younger bulls from breeding and there's, and there's all of those things. Forage. Yeah. The, um, and because, you know, a lot of people don't know this, but when they enter rut and they're bugling like that, they're not, they don't eat. They fight and they procreate. That is it. <laughs> They There's another not, F word you could use there instead of. There is. And I just, you know, you thought I about just, it. I did. I, I, I was it's a the, podcast. We're not under FCC guidelines. You can go nuts on the F words. Good to know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> don't give me a free pass. Ah, well, you get a free pass. If, if you do it, don't feel bad. That's my whole point. Um, so. But yeah. So that idea that they go through this very arduous process for about a month and a half where they're not consuming any food. And then they enter winter depleted on energy and they don't have the fat reserves to live for winter or through winter. That is why a lot of them die. 
they they die just out of starvation. That is a slow and painful death. Yeah. It, it really is. It hurts. And knowing that this animal is not going to go through that process, I feel better about that. And nature gets to have its peace too. The carcass is out there. The hide is out there. There, there is, there is, there is a bear in that Canyon that has two bull elk down. I guarantee that bear lives all the way through winter with cubs. Guarantee it. You You just saved a bear's life. Yeah. Now when you go bear hunting next year, it'll be a whole different story, but there, (laughs) but there is that process. And I, I certainly enjoy being a part of that process because it is, it's, it is unique and it is special. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, people that argue that, oh, hunting really is just this archaic form of, it is, it is archaic in the idea that that is how we are hunters and gatherers it, it, by, by yeah. nature it is arguably more weird that you don't want to hunt. <laughs> uh, you could make that argument based on how, how we evolve as humans. You so, know what I, you know what I do is I just avoid the argument. Let's, we don't need to argue about it. This is something I do. You don't. I don't typically circles that, that, that aren't hunting out, outdoor enthusiasts, but yeah. you know, being able to um, utilize the entire animal. Uh, Cause even, you know, for the bones that I don't uh, didn't cut up into the marrow medallions. Um, I uh, slow cook them in the Traeger and then Indy has bones for there you go. coming year. Ladies and gentlemen, how to elk hunt. If you want to hear any of our other podcasts, we have plenty of them. Just go on to odyssey.com search how to with Luke and Ben. Uh, it is, uh, it's fun to hear your story and see your enthusiasm. And yeah, you're right. It's not for everybody, but if it is for you and you want to learn more about elk hunting, I am sure that you can contact Ben. What's the best way to do it? Uh, I am the box dad on TikTok. You can contact me in DMS on IG uh, or Always simple email, ben at boxpainting.com. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you, Ben. And thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.